Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. The U.S. Ambassador to South Sudan says the country's diversity can be used for peaceful coexistence. Since I arrived in South Sudan on August 23rd, I have been struck by the rich diversity of the people of this country. I have also been struck by the widespread and strong desire for peace and unity. And some South Sudanese activists attending the UN General Assembly want their leaders to do more in the field of education. If you look at the infrastructure they have in schools, they are not really conducive for, uh, for learning. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A top U.S. envoy in South Sudan says the country needs to embrace its diversity to foster peace and prosperity. The U.S. ambassador to South Sudan told the gathering Wednesday people's differences, if not politicized, can be a source of strength and have the potential to promote peace. For VOA News, Deng Gaideng reports from Bor. Speaking during the commemoration of the International Day of Peace in Juba, U.S. Ambassador to South Sudan, Michael J. Adler, said South Sudan's history of diversity and the people's desire for peace should be a tremendous asset. Ambassador Adler says there is an urgent need to create an environment in which all South Sudanese can achieve the peace and prosperity they deserve. Since I arrived in South Sudan on August 23rd, I have been struck by the rich diversity of the people of this country. I have also been struck by the widespread and strong desire for peace and unity. People's differences can and should be a source of strength and have the potential to create employment, generate income, reduce poverty, and promote peace. Adler says the potential to unite the people should be first and foremost in the minds of South Sudanese leaders, especially when considering the harm caused by subnational violence across the country. It is deeply concerning to consider the conflict in Upper Nile, ongoing tensions between herders and farmers in the Equatorias, and numerous incidents of violence elsewhere in the country. Differences between communities have been exploited rather than celebrated as a source of strength. Adla commended the government for graduating the first page of the necessary unified forces, calling it a significant step in creating a national force that can provide security to all South Sudanese, regardless of their ethnicity. Still, he says, much more needs to be done to make sure the graduated forces can perform their mandate. Necessary unified forces that are adequately resourced, with salaries paid on time, and with diverse representation across all ranks are vital to reduce conflict and violence. Equally so is meeting the other commitments in the peace agreement, including those related to transitional justice, accountability, reconciliation, and healing. South Sudan First Vice President Yag Machar says he agrees South Sudanese diversity should be viewed as an asset, not a witness. We should celebrate 
we should celebrate our diversity because it is the source of our strength and it is not something that can divide us. And if found any discrimination, we have institutions which can address such discriminations, be it ethnics, cultural, religious or linguistic discriminations. Adler, who also spoke on behalf of the Trika countries of Norway, the United Kingdom and the U.S., says all the three countries remain committed to the 2018 peace deal as the only way to deliver peace, security and democracy in South Sudan. We strongly believe the commitments in the revitalized peace agreement must be implemented in full and accordance with the timescales set out in the roadmap. But violence must end now. Lasting peace will only come with justice and accountability. And I reiterate our call for those who have instigated or committed acts of violence against civilians, including sexual and gender-based violence, be held accountable for their actions without delay. Adler reiterated the U.S. government's condemnation of acts of violence against humanitarian workers in South Sudan, saying such heinous attacks must come to an end. Last month, an identified gunman killed two aid workers in eastern Equatoria state, according to state officials. The aid workers were working for the Catholic Church Aid Agency, Caritas Lusambek. On Wednesday, the U.S. Embassy in Juba condemned Monday's killings of an aid worker in Unity State's Bentiu town. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaideng in Bor. U.S. President Joe Biden accused Russia on Wednesday of violating the core tenant of membership in the United Nations by invading Ukraine and said Moscow was making threats to use nuclear weapons. Speaking at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Biden slammed Russian President Vladimir Putin for starting an provoked war that some 40 U.N. members are helping Ukraine to fight. Let us speak plainly. Permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Again, just today, President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard of the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Now, Russia's calling up more soldiers to join the fight, and the Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <coughs> significant violation of the UN Charter. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened. But no one threatened Russia, and no one other than Russia sought conflict. A former UN Undersecretary for Political Affairs says the United States has never in principle opposed the expansion of the UN Security Council to grant permanent and non-permanent membership to Africa, Latin America, or Southeast Asia. But Ambassador James Jonas says the problem has been the requirement that new permanent members should not have the veto powers. In his speech to the 77th UN General Assembly on Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden expressed his support for expanding the Security Council 
by granting permanent seats to Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Ambassador Jonas tells James Batty the acceptable way to reform the Security Council would be to give new members the same rights and responsibility that the current members have. The United States in particular have never opposed expansion of the Security Council and also permanent seats. But then the proposal was made by the 16 permanent members that granting permanent seats to Africans, Asians, or Latin Americans would require that they not use their seats to veto. And there are some members who were prepared to accept that condition. But my argument has always been, based on my knowledge of UN law, that there is no reference in the charter to the word veto. All the charter says is that passing a binding resolution of the Security Council would require the concurrence of all permanent members, which means it is the permanency that requires concurrence. So just giving permanency now, according to the proposals which have been made, would not mean the extra ones who use their vote to block. And this has not been accepted by the African states. But I know there were other members who were prepared to accept it. So there's no contradiction. Yeah, the U.S. have never, in principle, opposed expansion of the Security Council member states. Ambassador Jonas, everyone is talking about reforming the Security Council. What do you think is the best way to go? Do you think abolishing the veto is the best way to go and introducing a majority rule in the Security Council, just like the General Assembly? Well, in practical terms, it is going to be very difficult for some permanent members to accept just plain majority rule in the Security Council. For example, it is doubtful that the United States Senate will ratify any change which removes quote-unquote what we call veto from the Charter by the United States. I, I doubt they would do it. So what one can accept is that if you are going to grant permanent seats to, say, African states, then those permanencies should have all the rights and responsibilities of the current five permanent states. That would be the fairest way to do. But I think the fear is that if you have these new permanent seats in five or six, then it will complicate proceedings in the Security Council and make it difficult to reach decisions. This is the argument which has been made. But these things are not explained usually in discussion. But these are the core problems facing expansion of the permanent seats in the Security Council. That was Ambassador James Jonas, a former UN Undersecretary for Political Affairs. He spoke with my colleague James Batty from New York. 
You're listening to South Sudanian Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, some South Sudanese activists at the UN General Assembly say support for education is needed in their country. Find out why after the break. I get my health advice from my grandmother who is at home. When I'm sick that I can't control myself, she'll help. My dad, because my dad is a doctor. I'd say I get my health advice from various places, the internet, my parents, because I have my mother is a nurse. My health advice, I get it on the internet. If I need something on how to deal with obesity, I get it on the internet. Anything I need pertaining to health advice is on the internet. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. A group known as the African Center for Justice and Peace Studies says the government of Sudan is targeting online activities of its citizens. The executive director for the NGO says a human rights defender was arrested, tortured and charged with defamation in central Darfur state early this month. For VOA News, Michael Atit has more from the Sudanese capital Khartoum. Musad Mohamed Ali, leader of the African Center for Peace and Justice Studies, says early last month a group of police detectives from Zalinja town in central Darfur state arrested 22-year-old human rights defender Saifuddin Adam Ahmed. He says during Ahmed's detention, officers beat him with a pistol boot and forced him to stand under the hot sun for two hours while he was verbally insulted. Speaking to South Sudan in focus from the Ugandan capital, Kampala, Ali says the police charge Ahmed with defamation under Article 159 of Sudan's panel court because of his social media post about four Christians who were arrested and charged with apostasy in Zalim in early July. Ali says the act violates Ahmed's freedom of expression, a basic human rights. Without having this freedom of expression and especially the online uh, activists like uh, the use of uh, different social media platforms for freedom of expression, actually there would not be any uh, peaceful democratic transformation in Sudan because by having you know, uh, limiting the space for the uh, freedom of expression. So that means you narrow down even the space, you know, for any democratic change. Sudan's civilian and military transitional government made the law more punitive in 2020 amendment. But the Sudanese army has continued to threaten journalists and online activists under Sudan's cybercrime law. 
That law, a relic from a repressive era of former President Omar al-Bashir, criminalized spreading false information online. Ali says threatening reporters and torturing activists tarnishes the image of freedom of expression in Sudan. They use the uh, cyber law and also they use the Sudanese penal code, you know, to uh, silence the different activists, including even, you know, the uh, political activists, not only the uh, human rights uh, activists. And uh, this is actually like an issue of uh, serious concern. And for that reason, we have been urging the Sudanese societies to respect and to guarantee the right to freedom of expression. Musa Dawalbaid, the public prosecutor in central Darfur state, says charging Ahmad with a crime was wrong. Speaking by phone from Zalinje town, Dawalbaid says Ahmad was simply expressing his opinion on an issue of public debate. And the apostasy article was removed from the Sudanese Panel Act a long time ago. We advised the prosecutor that he should order for the withdrawal of the case from the court by the public prosecution office and suspend the case. There is no longer an article on apostasy in our law. Anybody is free to choose his or her religion. The case was dismissed and the person is now free. Ahmad Asunusi, a member of the Sudanese Emergency Lawyer Group, says even though the apostasy article was removed from the Panel Act, it remains what he calls a controversial issue in both the courts and the society. But he says the judiciary and all levels of the government must implement what has been approved as the law of the land. It is a controversial issue, but according to the law, that article was dropped after December's revolution. Therefore, no court should charge anybody with an article that was cancelled. Sudan Army spokesperson Colonel Nabil Abdullah denies the cybercrime law is used against anyone, adding that the law is meant to maintain law and order, including online activities. The cybercrime law is like any other laws of the country and it is impossible for us in the army to use it against any person. That is not correct. If you mean the cybercrime law, it is not a new law. It has been there for quite a long time. Sudan's government abolished the Islamic apostasy law in October 2020. The African Center for Justice and Peace Studies urges Sudanese authorities to guarantee the right to freedom of expression as provided for in the Article 56 of the 2019 Constitutional Declaration to respect international and regional human rights treaties. DeSanto is also calling on the government to ensure that the freedom of expression is protected both online and offline in accordance with the Constitution and universally accepted standards. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. Some young men and women attending a United Nations summit on transforming education are calling on the South Sudan government to teach students hands-on skills to help them compete in the job markets. For VOA News, David Monodanga has more from New York. Some officials with the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, want only a third of 10-year-olds around the world are able to read and understand a simple written story. UNICEF says that is a 50% decrease from pre-pandemic estimates. 
One Isaac Kenyi, a 34-year-old South Sudanese who is attending the UN General Assembly as part of the Reham Al-Fara Memorial Fellowship, says conflict and low teachers' salary have affected the quality of education in South Sudan. The second thing is um, students being subjected to poor learning environment. If you look at the infrastructure they have in schools, they are not really conducive for, uh, for learning, especially um, with the weather conditions that we have uh, in, in this country. They can, uh, it's hot and you find some places have no uh, buildings, um, some students learning under trees. All these contribute to the poor education system uh, we have. Linda Yunis Nakaibali, a gender transformative education advocate who operates to Jifunze Africa, a non-profit that fights for women's rights in Uganda, says Sasuda needs to transform its curriculum in line with job markets. I would like the government to increase funding for education. Increase funding for education. Transform the curriculum to ensure that children from a younger age get hands-on skills so they don't get to the job and are just learning the practical bit of it. We should, we should move away from teaching children to pass exams, to pass the next test, and go back to teaching them the value, the, the skills they need for work. Because I feel, I feel like that's where the gap is. We are teaching a lot of theory and less practical. And yet the world of work needs more practical. Lasso Jacob is a fellow of the U.S. Department of State-sponsored community engagement exchange program, which was launched by the Bureau of Education and Cultural Affairs to equip emerging civil society leaders with resources and skills to support resilient communities in their countries. He says the new roadmap extending the mandate of the transitional government of national unity offers an opportunity for the UN to support South Sudanese. This is a very unique opportunity that the government will use to call for more support in the implementation of the peace agreement because uh, we do hope that with the complete implementation of the uh, peace agreement, there will be a genuine and a long-lasting peace in the country. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said on Monday, education is in a deep crisis because education transforms lives, economies and societies and therefore must be transformed. Amel Sylvania an education activist representing Comoros Island says the African child is at high risk of not completing her studies due to early child marriage, poverty, and a high dropout rate caused by disasters and conflicts. The future is female, so young girls should be equipped at early, at early age. And for that to be possible, we have to transform education and make it inclusive and give everyone opportunities to study while Jacob says with literacy levels in South Sudan at about 27%, young girls and women need extra protection from traditional customs that validate forced and early child marriages. The government should ensure that school girls are highly protected by the law from early marriages and they should be given continuous and attractive incentives to keep and facilitate their learning. Secondly, the education sector should be given priority when it comes to budget allocation and funding so that teachers are paid better and timely wages. The UN Secretary General says education is fast becoming what he calls a great divider, noting that some 70% of 10-year-olds in poor countries are unable to read. Guterres says with access to the best resources, schools and universities, the rich get the best jobs, while the poor, especially girls, 
displaced people and students with disabilities face huge obstacles to getting the qualifications that could change their lives. For VOA News, I am David Monodanga in New York. Uganda's health ministry has confirmed seven cases of Ebola, including a 24-year-old man who died this week. Reuters says he was initially diagnosed with malaria before being detected with the Sudan strain of Ebola and experienced a high fever, diarrhea, abdominal pains, and was vomiting blood. Reuters says another seven deaths are being investigated as suspected cases of the disease. It says Uganda last reported outbreak of the Sudan strain of the deadly hemorrhagic virus 10 years ago. In 2019, it experienced the spread of Ebola Zaire. Health officials say the current outbreak was imported from the eastern region of neighboring Democratic Republic of Congo. Last month, a vaccination campaign was launched in the DRC town of Beni to stop the spread of the disease. Still on health matters, the World Health Organization warns non-communicable diseases kill 41 million people each year, equivalent to 74% of all deaths globally. For VOA News, Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. A new global report by the World Health Organization finds non-communicable diseases now outnumber infectious diseases as the top killers globally. Each year, it says 17 million people under age 70 die prematurely from non-communicable diseases, or NCD. The biggest killers are cardiovascular diseases, followed by cancers, chronic respiratory diseases, and diabetes. WHO Director of Non-Communicable Diseases, Bente Mickelson says most of these deaths are preventable. Every two seconds, someone under the age of 70 is dying from an NCD. And many people don't still realize that 86% of these premature deaths, namely dying too young, are taking place in low and middle income countries, making NCD an issue of equity and sustainable development as well as health. WHO blames most of these preventable deaths on four key risk factors. It cites high blood pressure as the biggest threat, noting 1.3 billion adults worldwide have this condition. Mickelson says too many people are unaware they have this potentially deadly condition. Consequently, they are not getting the life-saving treatment they need. If people had access to health services where they could get their blood pressure checked and get support to manage hypertension, nearly 10 million heart attacks and stroke could be averted by 2030. Other major risk factors like unhealthy diet, tobacco use and harmful use of alcohol are heavily influenced by industry, including the formulation, packaging design, marketing and promotional products. WHO reports at least 39 million deaths could be averted by 2030 if every country were to adopt the interventions known to work. The UN Health Agency urges people to embrace healthier lifestyles and modify risky behavior to reduce their chances of getting a deadly disease. It says those who stop smoking, exercise more, eat a healthier diet and drink only moderate amounts of alcohol will add years to their lives. Lisa line for VOA News, Geneva. That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. 
Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. For world news, go to voanews.com. If you miss this broadcast, go to voanews.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Rijawara by Talis and Mr. Langs. Listening to the song Rijawara by Talis and Mr. Langs. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.